0: Before there were 12 rules for life from Jordan Peterson, there were the 13 rules of the Catholic gentleman's rule of life. That's what we'll be talking about right after this.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. This week, it's just gonna be Sam and I. We're not able to get there in person together, but we really wanted to spend some time, just us um, uh, talking about um, you know, his, his book, and in particular, uh, The Rules for a Catholic Gentleman. But before we get there, I want to remind you or ask you to help us out by subscribing on YouTube, subscribing on the podcast player of your choice, clicking that bell button, and if you like the video or any of our previous videos, give us that thumbs up. It's going to help expand, grow the channel, grow the ministry, and help us to reach more men and um, and women, uh, but more men just like you. Finally, if you're interested in helping us expand this mission uh, financially, head over to patreon.com slash Catholic Gentleman. Take a look at the tiers that we have, you know, $5 a month, $10 a month, all of this really helps us from the bottom of my heart. I am grateful for all of our donors who are making this possible for Sam and for me to continue bringing these things to you and actually some of our other friends um, uh, who are helping us out. So uh, again, thank you and patreon.com slash Catholic Finally, I want to take a moment and I want to thank our sponsor slash partner really for this episode, and that is Cross Catholic Ministries. So we are partnering them uh, with them this um, Advent season to help um, drill 15 drills Um, for water, sorry, 15 wells, we're going to drill 15 wells uh, for water in two dioceses there in Kenya. So there's going to be a lot more in the show notes um, about that. But please consider prayerfully donating to this very worthwhile Um, Mission, This worthwhile project to help um, the children and the families in these different Catholic dioceses over in uh, Kenya actually have drinking water so over a third of the population is uh, unable to have clean drinking water and uh, that causes obviously all sorts of sickness and virus and, and death. And so we will actually talk about later in the episode, uh, Corporal Works of Mercy, Uh, this is one way that you can practice that. So take a look in the show notes, click on that link, please jump over there and consider donating to these um, projects to bring clean drinking water to those in need. So we're really excited to be talking about these 13 rules, the Catholic Gentleman's Rule of Life, that yours truly, Sam Guzman, on the call here, uh, put together in his book, The Catholic Gentleman. So we're actually going to put this in the show notes, right? If you have not read this book, uh, it's a must, and it's something uh, worth checking out and uh, incredibly easy to digest for us modern men, but very powerful and and filled with um, impactful lessons and uh, anecdotes and thoughts and teachings that are truly going to help Uh, transform your life to holiness we always say be a man be a saint it does both of those things and helping you grow in masculinity and holiness so um so sam if you want to start out and just talk a little bit about um what made you think or called to write these uh rules of uh catholic gentlemen before we jump into them
0: yeah so the catholic gentleman's rule of life is actually not patterned off of jordan peterson's 12 rules of life i actually patterned it after If you get any like vintage or old-timey prayer books, missiles, things like that, they'll often have somewhere in there a very simple rule of life or something like that. Um, Sometimes that means like um, saying your morning offering, or they just basically give you some principles to live by. And I thought, well, I'm writing this book for modern men who are trying to live Catholic faith in the in a modern world and I and I, of course you know there's the substance of the book that's really helpful but I want something that's like a bullet list of principles that any Catholic man can live by and benefit from them so they're kind of pattern after those older rules of life um, that you find in a lot of prayer books but I wanted it to be something new and original and fresh Um, kind of basically commandments that a, a Catholic gentleman can strive to live by so Really, the first one, I tried to make them all very practical, but also very uh, applicable to our spiritual life. The first one is, um, I will fear, honor, and love God above all others, even at the cost of my own life. Um, And I guess what really drove that one was something that really inspired me as as a Catholic. I grew up Protestant. My mom always taught us a great deal about church history, um, even though we were Protestants, and she emphasized the the just kind of the, the beauty of the witness of the martyrs through the centuries, uh, starting in the early church with the Roman persecutions and the Colosseum, and just a lot of the brutal persecutions and martyrdoms that happened in the early church. And yet, many of these martyrs would go singing joyfully to their deaths. There was something. That had inspired them, starting with Stephen, the first martyr, when he saw heaven opens and and saw Christ standing at the right hand of God and you know his face was shining like an angel. I just love that story in Acts. Yeah. And there was Christ was so real to them and to early Christians, um, and to all the martyrs through the centuries, even up until the modern times. Christ was so real to them that they would give anything for him. And I just feel like if we're going to live as Calvin gentlemen in the modern world, with all the temptations that come with that, with all the persecution the world's throwing at us, yes, hard persecution, but also many times soft persecutions of compromise on this little principle, or I'm not going to be your friend anymore, mm. or you know, enjoy this um, unholy entertainment, or I'm not going to have anything to do for you, do with you anymore. Just little little subtle things that the world tempts us with. It's all got to start with a radical commitment to Christ. Um, And we must be willing to give everything for Christ or everything else is going to collapse. That has to be the foundation. That has to be the solid rock on which our lives as Catholic gentlemen is built. And if it's not, we're we're going to be that house built on sand. We're going to succumb to the pressures of the world because the world's always pressing in on us, trying to get us to compromise, trying to get us to give up our principles or to compromise the gospel or to compromise uh, the uniqueness of christ or all of these things and and if we don't have that radical commitment to god and to christ and to a higher order it's all going to collapse so that's why i wanted to start yeah. with i oh, will fear honor and love god above all others even at the cost of my life
1: so I love it. And this is excellent. Sam and I have actually never talked about these things. So I think it's going to be a uh, real fun to dive in further into each of these, because obviously Sam coming at it as the man who wrote these had given him a lot of thought and put them into his book and me as a, uh, as a consumer, you know, to, to read through them and to um, digest them and to practice them. So uh, a lot of things that you said were really wonderful. And I, the, First thing was why you put rules uh, or or bullets or lists into um, your book. Two things: you're speaking modern language. We all love seven this and five this and stuff like that. But second, I can think of the homilies in my life, right? Where the best homilies I have heard uh, give you practical tips to to guide and to go forward with, right? And they're they're really tangible. That's what I love, right? Is that there's something very tangible about them? It's not, you know, go forward and and be a nice person. It's like it's very specific about what we need to be doing. And so I um, am very grateful. And I think that's uh, obviously an excellent inclusion for a book for men. Um, obviously, the ones that are triggered, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners were triggered to me when I read this, was you know the Great Commandment, uh, Luke, Luke ten. 20 something, um, that, that our Lord said, right. You should love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and, um, and your neighbor as yourself. And so, you know, that popped in my head right away when I read this. And then for any of our listeners, um, the, the code of chivalry, right. Um, that the very first one in the code of, of chivalry is thou shalt believe all that the church teaches and thou shalt observe all its directions, and so that's been from knighthood, right, um, for masculinity. And I know we've talked about that in other episodes, but I think it's it's so fitting to include here. And then I'm so grateful that you chose, um, even at the cost of my life, right, because we as men have within us that warrior. We have within us this desire to stand for truth and to defend it. But it doesn't have to be something fearful. You just brought that up, right? And you triggered in my mind uh, the martyrdom of St. Polycarp. And if anybody hasn't read the martyrdom of St. Polycarp, I'll try and remember to put that in the show notes. You got to take a look at that, right? Where this man, they're going to burn him at the stake. And he said, you know, something along the lines of, "You, you threaten me with fire that can burn but an hour and then is extinguished, but are ignorant to the eternal fires of hell you know so bring it on and uh, and there's something so um you know kind of shocking uh but also at the same time uh so compelling and inspiring uh by that way of life and so yeah how fitting that uh you know these things connect to uh history to tradition and obviously to how we should be currently living so
0: yeah and i, I think the key point for me is that martyr. The Greek word martyr means witness. It doesn't mean somebody who dies for their faith. It means witness. And basically what it means is you the spiritual world is more real to you than the temporal world. Mm. Uh, and that's the only way the martyrs could do what they did and suffer the sufferings that they did and and the torments that they experienced and things like that was that they were so convinced of the reality of the spiritual world. It was so real to them. But there is no way that anything in this world could scare them, <laughs> um, yeah. and they were so convinced of spiritual realities. And 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 I guess it's a call for each of us to enter so deeply into the spiritual life that these truths of the faith that are contained in the catechisms and the the, the prayers and the liturgy of the church and things like that, we meditate on those so deeply. But they become so real to us. We encounter them in such a real way that anything the world can throw at us is just insignificant. Um, and that's really what the martyrs were bearing witness to. And, of course, the church has actually articulated there's, there's different kinds of martyrdom. There's the, there's the red martyrdom of shedding your blood, yes. There's also a white martyrdom of carrying your cross day in and day out driven by the reality of spiritual truths Um, they're so real to you that it informs everything that you do and that can often lead to a lot of suffering in a world that doesn't understand that but it doesn't mean that you have to be you know burned at the stake or thrown to the lions but it can just mean i am living according to values that are radically different than the world understands and yet that is what drives every decision that i make I'm a martyr. I'm a witness to a higher order of truth and beauty and goodness that nothing in the world can compare to. And I'm going to live my life in accordance with that.
1: Yeah. And what a commitment uh, each man needs to make in his life. And each man needs to have that conversation with Christ. And and I, I have the conversation with Our Lady all the time about just you know, help me devote more time to that, which is most important to learning the faith, to praying throughout the day, whether it's the liturgy of the hours or the rosary, or obviously your contemplative prayer, your conversation with Christ. These things are so paramount to our lives and I know when I often go on vacation or something like that you think you have the more time but then you end up just relaxing and 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 some of your spiritual practices uh take a back seat and I just I end up after a few days of that just feeling like a total wreck because I haven't been able to to stay the course of that which is that life breath that that we all need of of truth and prayer um with with god so All right, well, let's move to the second one, which reads, I will honor holy things and treat them with respect.
0: Yeah, this one is important to me because you go to a lot of Catholic churches today, um, non-Catholic churches especially, but even in Catholic churches, there's just a triviality, an attitude of disregard for the holy. You know, there, used, there was once upon a time when there were massive like screens in front of the altar, like uh, rude screens and, and iconostasis in the East. But like in the, in the West, they had them too. We call them rude screens. There were these big screens that separated the sanctuary, the the kind of holy of holies of well, the altar where the, the sacrifice of the mass took place from the rest of the church. Um, and it was a visual picture, a symbol of, the holiness of God. And um, slowly that's kind of come down. And then in recent times at the altar rail, but even that the altar rail has been abolished Mm -hmm. and we um, just want to drag God down to our level. Uh, We want to ignore the holiness of God and just view him as kind of our, our cosmic buddy or, or whatever. Like God is, God is, so accessible, so friendly, so nice, so good. Um, that I have nothing to fear. Just traips in to the altar, you know, just wander around the church talking loudly, drinking food or drinking water, eating food, things like that, where it just this is a casualness. And we forget the holiness of God. You know, the the the, the six wings, you know, seraphs cover their face and their feet and and they're chanting constantly in God's presence, holy, 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 you know, and, and they're just, there's this, yes, God loves us. God is here for us. He is in a sense more humble than we are. And yet he's also so pure, so holy, he's a consuming fire of holiness and purity. Um, And yet we forget that we want to ignore that reality. And it has nothing to do with, with, you know this cringing fear no it's just awe like yeah. a lot of times we feel more awe at niagara falls or the grand canyon than we do in in the, the sanctuary interest. of the church where god is yeah. present with us the creator of all things you know the sustainer of all things um the lord of all um and we have no fear of trembling anymore and i think that's a tragedy and so when we talk about the sanctuary when we talk about the altar you know genuflects uh yeah. you know you know sometimes you see people they just like barely bob their head when they walk yeah. in the sanctuary it's like uh, if that sometimes and you know it's, it's not here to like criticize others or to to pass judgment on others but it is to say we've lost our sense of the sacred And when you lose your sense of the sacred you lose god you lose contact with him he, he kind of he's there of course at old times but but we have to be aware of him. Uh, that's right. And, and that awareness, and that's what holy things do, is they cultivate that awareness of the tremendous holiness of God. Um, and, you know, it, we have to encounter things as human beings through the medium of symbols, yeah. whether that's an altar rail that typifies God being other um, uh, or bells ringing at the consecration and things like that we stained glass statues um just the whole structure architecture of a church um symbolizes something profound that changes our interior disposition now you go into a whitewashed church with no stained glass no kneelers you know yeah. and basically what it communicates is it's all about us it's all about us and our needs who cares what god needs who cares what god wants who cares what pleases him it's all about us. Um, and that's, that's a tragedy. It's a trivialization of God who is, you know, beyond our, all our capacity to imagine. Um, he's, he's greater than, you know, even the angels are just, they don't understand who God is. It's like a mystery to them. And we've, we've completely lost that. So I know I belabored the point, but we must treat, we must recover our sense of the sacred. Yeah. Um, Our faith is going to suffer
1: how great it is. And you can tell that you have prayed and thought and discerned a lot about this. And I think it's it's really just awesome because we have we have first off, you know, we should have a holy fear of God. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And um, that's what we should be praying for as to not lose. But we also have the um ability to set that witness and be that example for our parishes and our and our churches and people around us by how we treat and revere and adore holy things. And I know on our episode on the domestic church, we talked about, you know, bowing to the sacred heart in your very own home, you know, showing that level of um of love for Christ and love for his, his holy heart. But also the fact that you said, you said so well that it's, it's not our job to bring him to us. You made me think of a Chesterton quote where Chesterton talked about, you know, kids love justice, but we as adults, you know, who are pretty decrepit prefer mercy. And, um, you know, and he's just getting at that, that point that we owe this justice to God by his grandeur, by his omnipotence and his infinite, his infinite, um, uh, being and, and how he created us out of love. And, you know, we can't even fathom that, but at the same time, recognizing that reality and living it is, is so important. And, and so obviously there's the very, um, there's the very base level, if you will, of, of sacrilege being a sin. And that's what we're talking about. We also have, you know, in our lady of Fatima sins against uh, the immaculate heart. And that's one of them is, is sins against her sacred images. And I just, I think in agreement with you, like it's, it is tough to see people go into a Catholic church and not genuflect. And I'm not just yes, of course, it's tough before mass, Um, But it's also really tough if mass isn't going on and if you're at a parish and people are just, you know, cleaning a parish or at a gathering or something like that and they're, they're not treating our Lord with reverence that he is due and we as men have an obligation to set that example another thing just to mention it for people to pray and discern is that when you walk across uh the statue of our lady at your church, pausing and bowing, you know, to that statue, that's a great practice that's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but we don't we don't think about it at at most churches. And it's it's like, well, we genuflect often half-heartedly, um, you know, which is a shame. But there's other ways that we can through our exterior actions, our external actions, show our internal devotions. And so I just think that's um excellent number two, you know, for these um, rules to be a Catholic gentleman. Yeah. So moving on to uh, number three. And, um, you know, the number three reads, I will learn to pray as if my eternal salvation depends on it. Because it does, and I you see this theme of religion at, at, at honor and due to God and relationship with God first and foremost in your rules that I was picking up on while I was going to. So, number three fits right in there.
0: Yeah. So the first principle I think that's important about this is prayer is relationship. Prayer is communication that leads to communion with God and. You know, when I say our eternal salvation depends on it, that's not in some legalistic sense where you have to say X number of prayers per day or you're gonna get cast into hell because God's, you know, offended. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that if you don't want to spend God uh spend time with God in time, why are you gonna to want to spend time with him in eternity? Right. That makes mm-hmm. no sense. And um, if if you're much more concerned with this world and this life and the pleasures that you can obtain here, and the happiness and the good things you can obtain here, and you have no care, no time set aside for for the Lord Jesus Christ, for angels and saints, but you know God the Father, you know the Eucharist, any of that. If you have no interest in that, why on earth would you want to spend hmm. eternity in God's company? Like why? It, it makes no sense. So ultimately, eternity is getting what your heart most desires. And if that's not Christ, then, then what is it? Um, and that will tell you a lot about your eternal state. But regardless, the point being, prayer is essential to the spiritual life, and is spiritual breathing.
1: Yeah.
0: It is a uh, giving out, uh, communicating outward to God, and receiving in. It's yes. A, it's just like breathing. Inhale, exhale. You know, we receive to God. We make ourselves present to Him and give of our 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 meager love back to Him. Um, and the more you do that, the stronger your soul grows. Um, I used to live in Colorado, uh, and pretty much everybody in Colorado strikes me as like an Olympic athlete. Practically, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I went uh, I I went to church with a guy who was this like ultra marathoner who would run these hundred mile races through. The Colorado Rockies, you know, up, you know, 10,000 feet up and down and just unbelievable athlete, mm. unbelievable athlete. I mean, this guy was so fit, but the lung capacity you need <sighs> to be able to breathe as you're running at these high altitudes where the air is so thin uh, is just unbelievable. It, I mean, um, the the oxygen intake is incredible. But what that tells you is a similar principle, the principle of analogy, like the same with the spiritual life. The closer we grow to God, the more our spiritual capacity grows, the more our soul expands to receive God. Um, But prayer is like that spiritual breathing. The more you do it, the stronger your spiritual lungs get. The more your soul expands, the more your heart expands, and the more you can receive of God. So it's exercise, it's an exercise, and that's why all of the saints say, have a prayer rule, or have a, a, a process of prayer that you engage in on a regular basis, and, you know, rhythm is so important. I would say it's it's much more important to just say, one, our Father, consistently, day after day, than it is to pray the liturgy, of the Hours sporadically, the rosary sporadically, uh, you know, any number of prayers sporadically. Be consistent, no matter how small that prayer is. And it's like, again, that it's an exercise. It's a spiritual exercise that expands your heart, expands your soul. And the more your soul expands, the more you can receive from God. And the more you receive from him, the more you want to receive. And so the process continues. Um, But the point is, prayer is spiritual breathing. If you're not praying, you're suffocating. Your soul is shrinking and shriveling up and becoming uh you know more and more constricted um so take prayer seriously uh it is it is the spiritual life i would i was going to say it's the foundational spiritual life but really it is the spiritual life it all comes down to communion with god and that doesn't have to be spoken it doesn't have to be vocal It, it can be something very interior to the heart um where, you know, the you know Solomon said, I'm asleep, but my heart's awake, you know, almost where it's like okay. we're going about our day to day, and yet our heart is in communion with God. That is possible, and the saints okay. prove that, that you can live in a, in a state of ceaseless prayer, you know, as St. Paul describes, um, and that, that takes years to get to that point, but it's something we should all strive for. But it starts, yeah. it can start very small, but build on that.
1: Yeah no I appreciate that and I think um you you brought up something I know Boethius talked about the wheel of fortune and you know we think of the wheel of fortune as you know a great game show and um Vanna White and all that but uh Boethius back in what the 600 6th century Eighth. um 8th century yeah somewhere around there just talked about the wheel of fortune and how when we are not centered in the center and in our situation here is devout Catholics, Catholic men striving for holiness on Christ and on that communion and conversation with him. Then we allow the ebbs and flows of life to dictate our emotions mm-hmm. and to dictate our habits and our behaviors and how we interact with people. So. What do? How do we get to that center, right? So it's not when the bank account is running tight because an air conditioning broke and uh, you had to move uh, things. I'm speaking of personally here, um, or your kids are sick, or you've had um, uh, you know an amazing date with your wife and your kids are happy when you get home, you know, and your bank account looks good, right? Those things are not dictating our actions and decisions in life. And, and how do we do that? We have to center our lives on Christ. And I know that you and I are both huge fans of obviously, and, you know, devoted to St. Maximilian Kolbe. And I think he's just such a a perfect example of somebody who was able to communicate with Christ and not allow the ebbs and flows of life. And so if there are any listeners listening, you're not aware of um, Maxim and Colby being put into a concentration camp and seeing people being horribly abused and we won't need to go down there, but murdered and and everything, but he just always had his joy, right? That joy, which is the fruit of the Holy spirit, right. Um, That is, that is given to us by the Holy spirit, when we have this unceasing conversation with Christ, but that can seem overwhelming to people who aren't used to that they can seem overwhelming of how am I supposed to pray day in and day out and I tell you what it's a struggle. I mentioned it in a previous episode on things we learned the hard way. Um, that. It was it's been a huge struggle for me and but it's it's a worthwhile uh, struggle and it's it's something worth pursuing and worth moving for. and so I'd encourage people as you were giving some things about starting small is take take a moment, pick a, a weekend or pick during your lunch hour and just start writing on a piece of paper things that are keeping you from praying. And I think that's a great way to start. That's, that's prudent. It's temperate. It's, it's sitting down and it's discerning which things are keeping me from having a consistent prayer life actually put words on paper that's so powerful to do and then we can um discern that and maybe it is like you just you try and do um 45 minutes in the morning and but you wake up late and you feel like it's you know unproductive and that you're not or you know it's just you're trying to do too much you know you're trying to do the liturgy of the hours and you've never done that before you're not even praying a decade of the rosary let alone you know trying to hit the liturgy of the hours and and so The church has given us so much, um, but starting by discerning what it is that's keeping us from that uh, relationship with him. And then just my final thought is, is that the Holy Spirit is here to guide us in prayer. He is here to teach us how to pray and turning to the Holy Spirit um, with just that simple. If you are not a man that is devoted to a deep prayer life. Or if you are a man that's devoted to deep prayer life and you want to get better, asking the Holy Spirit to guide you through the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady and just something like that, you know, teach me how to pray uh start there yeah. and 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 we can all grow in holiness until our our end day Yeah,
0: uh, and 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 the last thing I want to say there that I think is important is why why do men struggle with prayer? You know, I, I'm not saying every woman, but sometimes women seem to do better turning inward and mm-hmm. practicing kind of interior devotions and things like that, that um, that it seems to come easier at least. For men, it's a struggle to just sit and be quiet or to sit and, and pray. Um, and of course, there's been many great male saints like St. Saint John of the Cross and things like that would prove that wrong. But But generally what I'm saying is it's harder for guys. Why? Because a lot of men like to control the process. Mm. We like to have a plan. We like to have a checklist. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to nail it, and I'm going to perform really, really well. We're performers by nature. Yeah. Um, But prayer is not a process you can control. Mm. You can kind of till the soil, yes. But ultimately, if God shows up, it's on his timetable. It's in his way. And all of the devotions and things that the church offers us are really just preparation for those moments where god reveals himself to us but ultimately god is a mystery we're entering into that mystery it's not a process we can control um and you actually see a lot of uh, men in scripture had to learn that the hard way you know elijah and moses and even these really holy giants in scripture wanted to control the process they wanted to control god you know and that's not how it works yeah uh, and god's gonna humble you until you get to the point where you realize that Amen. but one Job, thing i wanted Job. to yeah
1: Job, i was yes. just thinking about exactly. more Old moral testament yeah exactly you got me thinking that way so great yeah
0: but i think you said something that that segues naturally into kind of the next mm. point and that is it is a struggle it is a struggle yeah. and that leads to point four i will struggle for virtue and to overcome myself No matter how difficult the process, not seeing the level of mediocrity and excuse making. The point being here that the spiritual life is hard. That's why the Lord said, take up your cross and follow me. And it's a struggle. It's, you know, the the kind of the traditional term is asceticism, ascesis. It's It's a kind of a dying to your love of pleasure and your love of self and your, your love of comfort. And all of those things that we naturally tend towards, if you're get, if you're going to get serious about the spiritual life, it's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah. Um, whether it's that getting up a few minutes earlier to say, spend some time in prayer, whether that's going to a daily mass instead of going shopping or, or whatever, um, whether that's spending a holy hour instead of watching a football game or whatever the case might be. It could be a hundred different things. But when the minute you get serious about following Christ, there's going to be moral demands placed on you. there's going to be um a kind of a crucifixion where you're spending between you know the horizontal and the vertical where the horizontal is the desires and pleasures of this world, mm-hmm. and the vertical is communion with god and and kind of that struggle of moral purification and the struggle for virtue and wrestling with the passions that can be so often unruly and can resist our efforts towards a spiritual life. Um, You know, I, I've, I've really felt lately in my own life too, especially the, the reality of this tug of war between the flesh and the spirit. When the, when St. Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking just about our bodies, although that can sometimes be the case, but, but a lot of times what he's talking about is, these passions and instincts like there's a part of us this this holy like spiritual part of us that's born from above you know the this, this this spiritual part of us that longs for god and longs for to do all the right things. but then there's also this lower nature of passions and instincts and drives and anger and hatred and jealousy and greed and materialism and lust and and all of these things that can so easily drag us down and there's this this constant back and forth between these two aspects of our soul that are kind of struggling against each other. There's war between the flesh and the spirit. And um, it's going to be hard. If you decide to undertake, you can just throw in the towel and just say, I'll just succumb
1: yeah. to the
0: flesh and its desires and its instincts and all the forces working on me from below. I'm just going to give in to them and just live according to them. Plenty of people do that. It yeah. doesn't usually end well, No, but <laughs> they do that. Um, or you can say, I'm going to live according to the the life of the spirit. And the second you do that, really all hell is going to break loose in one form or another, whether that's internally or externally or something, it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt because there's a, there is a real tension there. Um, but you're going to have to struggle. Virtue is not something that comes easily or automatically.
1: Yeah, and that really calls to the heart of man, I would say. I remember the first time I read St. Jose uh, Maria Escriva um, mentioned that about the Eucharist, that he said he's like, struggle with the Eucharist um, until basically one Eucharist prepares you for the time between your next Reception of the Eucharist. But it was that word struggle that really called to my heart when I read it. I'm like, yeah, it is a struggle. And that was just lit. And I'm like, you know what? But it's a worthwhile struggle. And we're gonna have to struggle through life. I think a boss Rutin on one of our other episodes, right? Where he was he was big on like, you're gonna suffer and struggle. You might as well not do it for something stupid or immature, but you should do it right. for reasons of pursuit and, and holiness. And um And, uh, he gave some great examples, but just to talk about how important this is, this struggle, Sam and I have actually, you and I've already had, I think three episodes on this. We've had episode two, uh, which is the four temptations. We've had another episode on, um, on, uh, fasting. And then the, one of our most recent episodes with father David Abernathy, where we talked about how did the, uh, the desert, the Eastern fathers, um, the desert fathers, how did they, Overcome these these pleasures, and why do we need to overcome these pleasures? Right. So that might be something that's that's itching you right now. Is is why do I need to? And and how much of a of a wrestle should I? You know, how much of a um, of a combat uh, should I? You know, give it and uh, to to overcome these things, and why? And and Father David just had some beautiful and some amazing things to remind us, um, of growing in virtue. And like, I I mean, without going into all the previous episodes, it is just something that's absolutely necessary. And, and I would argue that, you know, without mortification, without, um, this struggle to obtain virtue, that, that you can't live a, a truly devout and holy life without that you can't reach that level of perfection that we're all called to, um, without denying yourself because the pleasures enslave us are, you know, and I can, I'll use sugar as a great example, right? Halloween just passed. Um, and, uh, and my kids had candy around, and I tell you, I opened the door to one tiny mini Snickers bar, and it quickly turns into four or five, and um, and then I start feeling bad. Right? This goes back to what Boss was saying—that now I'm now I'm suffering because of my my inability to you know control uh, the habit of Snickers, and so you know we have to fight against that until it takes over and controls us, and we can think about addictions. Um, uh, in, um, and alcohol and drugs and, um, working, you know, overworking and and avoiding leisure and things like that, that these become addictions of men. And then we no longer have the same control that we have now to, um, to say no to them. And, um, we are a, um, psychosoma, soma being, and, and we need to focus on these growth and virtues, uh, to, to grow in holiness. So,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, good. We'll move on to number five, and uh, number five reads: "You know, I will prefer the beatitudes to the world's values, remembering the truth that if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him." So that's that's a uh, that's impactful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really kind of putting just another step in the process of living according to the values of Christ and what he reveals. So so the world has a very clear paradigm um, that it operates by. Mm. And the vast majority, well, all of the time, it's the exact opposite of God's paradigm, okay? God's order, the the moral world order, if you will, where uh, the world says power, pleasure, prestige, Uh, an eye for an eye, get your revenge, uh, look out for number one, all of these things that um, are very egotistical. Um, That's what the world emphasizes. And there's even, you know, there's there's thousands of of self-help teachers that will teach you how to live your best life now, that will teach you how to Climb the corporate ladder. Learn how to retire rich. Work one day a week and let the passive income roll in. You know, right. Have your private jet, have your house in Malibu, California. You know, um, be surrounded by beautiful women all the time. All of us. Uh, I'll tell you how to do it. You know, and and these guys make millions of dollars telling people how to make millions of dollars, and uh, it's it's really a, a very clear paradigm that that is tempting to all of us. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the temptations of Christ in the desert are really typifying the temptations that we all face, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the world and the pride of life, You know, or the lust of the flesh and pride of life. Like those are the temptations the devil hits us with over and over again. But the Beatitudes, wow, that's radical. Yeah. Um, you know, even if you look at the ancient world, there was a lot of practical wisdom in the ancient world, mm-hmm. you know, like stoicism and things like that. They would tell you how to basically live a good life. Yeah. Um, In the here and now, even Buddhism is like, well, let's escape suffering, and here's how you can do that. But it's all again very focused, kind of on the here and now. But then the Beatitudes come in and just kind of take all of that worldly wisdom, as practical as it may be, and turns it upside down. It's like blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, uh, and and it's just on and on and on. Blessed are the meek, instead of blessed are the. The world rulers, it's blessed are the meek and, and the humble. Like it Christ turns everything upside down. And what he says is the, the order of being that I represent, everything that you love and value is inverted. Uh, you want to be great? Sorry, you know, I'm I'm here for, for the poor. Um, and it just it challenges us on every one of our natural instincts. Um you know, and I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Jordan Peterson, as much as I um, admire and value a lot of what he has to say, it is very much about being top lobster, you know? Yeah. Be this, this strong, impressive guy who's confident and competent and got it all together. There's nothing wrong with that in a natural sense. But we're going from the natural order yes. to the supernatural order here. And when you make that leap, everything's inverted everything's hanging upside down like it's like a topsy-turvy in the best possible way and christ lived that you know the the jews wanted a temporal king they wanted uh, a great exalted messiah that was going to institute a temporal kingdom they didn't understand him because you know at every turn he turned that on its head and he said you know the crowds would try to make him king and he'd flee he'd disappear Um, You know, and and every time they would say, uh, you know, you're the king of the Jews, he would turn around and get crucified, Uh, you know, and Uh and the Last Supper that was supposed to be the moment before his great grandeur, he washed the disciples feet, which just blew the disciples mind And Peter was almost angry about it, probably was angry about it, like, how dare you take on this menial job, but Christ is like, I'm trying to prove to you that true power is service and humility and meekness and poverty of spirit and gentleness and and all of the things that you don't value as a human being, but that are consistent with the character of God, that is what I'm going to reveal to you. And that was offensive to them and it will be offensive to the world. And in some sense, if it doesn't offend us, we're not paying attention.
1: Yeah,
0: The Beatitudes are the true code of conduct for anyone who wants to live a serious Christian life. If you just meditate on the Beatitudes every day, you're going to be changed. It's going to change you from the inside out because it is so challenging. And it is so contrary to what we think success is in life and in a natural level. Um, yeah. But it is the way to true spiritual power. You know, there's this word kenosis in the Greek, but it means self-emptying. The more you empty yourself of yourself, the more you can have room for God. Mm-hmm. Um, God can only fill an empty vessel. Mm-hmm. You can't fill someone who's full of themselves and their own ego and their own desires and their own uh, ambition and quest for success. We have to lay all that aside. And the Beatitudes tells us how to do that. And only then, once we live in that way, can God fill us. And with his spirit and with his power.
1: Yeah, I love it. And I would just um, ask our listeners to reflect: uh, how many of you can recite the Beatitudes? Because that is an important thing. Versus how many of you can recite ten of your favorite classic rock songs or current pop songs, or you know the first string lineup of your favorite football or uh, team, or you know the um, the roster for your your favorite baseball team versus the beatitudes. Right. And I feel like, um, these I'm in, you know, these are good, good things to reflect on and to, and to call, you know, is that, um, a bunch of my friends' sons went to a, um, a fraternity retreat for the FSSP, um, they came back on fire, you know, excited for Christ, and 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 one of the things that they made them do was they would hold a, a water hose in in front of them, and basically they'd have to start reciting the Beatitudes. And anytime they made a mistake, they got doused with water, and um and they uh, they no one could do it, but it was just it was a fun game to help them grow in that. Right? Uh, is that understanding of being able to repeat and to reflect and to meditate and to live the beatitudes we have to know and we have to internalize them right and um and there's an order to the beatitudes as well we have to know that as well god didn't make a mistake when he ordered them in the way that he did and so when we see humility right blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god right the first beatitude When you're able to really reflect why did Christ choose blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, first and foremost is exactly what you were getting at, Sam, is that humility is that which is going to get us to heaven, Uh, not pride of self and pride of life and not, um, not obviously concupiscence, you know, uh, to the flesh, but we are here to grow in humility, to uh, deny ourselves, to deprive ourselves, to think less of ourselves, so that we can open ourselves to um, God, who wants to fill us with His love and His confidence and His direction for our life. And um, and I'm not talking about looking in in front of a mirror and and just um, you know berating yourself. I am talking about like a true, authentic holiness that comes in humility, that comes and reflecting on the grandeur of God and reflecting on the beatitudes and bringing this to prayer. But it's, it's, it's so true, uh, how important these are in life. So I would say that if you, if you don't have them memorized, um, I'm going to call you to uh, reflect on them more frequently, you know, put together some sort of, uh, uh, um, flashcards or something like that, um, as, as a way to, um, grow, in a deeper love of Christ and his church and, uh, and in holiness. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, I, uh, we're going to do a part two of this because yeah. there's 13 of these and this is, um, already been almost a full hour. Uh-huh. Uh, and we want to conclude with number six. I will treat others made in the image and likeness of God, with dignity and respect, especially remembering to honor and to serve the poor, the weak, and the rejected as I would Christ himself. And again, this goes back to um, the, the two great commandments, yeah. which are really one. Um, love the Lord your God with, with all your heart, uh, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law and the prophets, as Jesus said. And um, but what's interesting about this is, and I, I'm not really sure how how this makes uh, works out theologically, but I will just say that all of the great saints who loved and served the poor, and the sick, um, and the needy, um, they always said, "I am serving Christ Himself." That's right. Um, it was that literal to them. It wasn't as as if I'm serving Christ Himself. They were saying, like, I'm literally serving Christ in the poor. Um, and they would make it that literal statement. Like, and the perfect example is St. Teresa of Calcutta, you know, the more, more recent example, but this goes back centuries. When I picked up that, that person out of the gutter, you know, that's, that's already got, you know, covered in maggots and filth, mm. and I am I am serving Christ directly. Um, yeah. And that was where she found the zeal and the passion to do what she did. Now, this goes all the way back to St. Benedict um, yeah. and his rule. Uh, one of the things he says about hospitality that's very interesting is he says, receive a stranger as you would receive Christ. Again, emphasizing the fact that oftentimes how we love and serve Christ is by loving and serving others. There is a direct relationship there. And Jesus said, what you do to one of the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. There's a very literal relationship. correlation there and we, you know there's that that incredible passage in the gospels with the sheep and the goats and what it all came down to is how these people had treated others their brothers and their sisters right in front of them you did it to one of them you're doing it to me you visit the sick you're visiting me you clothe the naked you're clothing me all of these things christ is making a one-to-one correspondence between how we treat others and how we treat him Again, I don't know. Why, I want to get into all like the theological nuances of that, but it's that literal, that intense. Yeah. And you cannot say, you know, as Saint James says, that you love God, who you have not seen, and despise your brother, who you do see. That's impossible. If you want to prove your love for God, you love your neighbor. You forgive from the heart. You serve. You go out of your way to love and serve others. Yeah, And if you can't do that, then you don't really love God. It's that simple. Um, So we all need to examine our hearts. How do we treat others? It doesn't matter how many prayers you say, no matter how pious you are, how many holy hours you make. You know, if St. Paul says you can even be a martyr, and if you have not love, it's worth nothing. Yeah, It's worthless in God's eyes. If you are not loving uh, to your neighbor, then all of the good deeds, I mean, all of the pious deeds uh, are worthless. Yeah. Uh, you can get your body burned, he said, and it's still worth nothing. So these are intense, challenging commandments from from Christ and, and from the apostles that tell us that the value of our spiritual life is rooted in our relationship with those right in front of us our neighbors and who is my neighbor it's the person right in front of you um and it doesn't matter whether their creed or sexual orientation or you know skin color or any of those things in fact the reason jesus used a samaritan in the gospels was samaritans were despised heretics um in this parable of the good samaritan a samaritan was you know like a catholic to a catholic it would be you know like um i don't know a, a mormon or a muslim or you know a hindu yeah. or somebody who is the point being it's somebody who's completely different than you yeah. and who you think you're better than <laughs> that's basically yeah. what it comes down to and the samaritan becomes the hero of the story it's like even what jesus is saying is it's that person right in front of you know how to no matter how different they are from you no matter how much they rub you the wrong way it doesn't matter. You are called to love them with a radical, self-giving love, as you would Christ. And how many times do we succumb to, you know, petty, uh, oh, I don't like that person, or they hurt my feelings. or Far
1: too often, yes. You know,
0: yeah, and they rub me the wrong way, or they irritate me, or whatever. So we withdraw our love, uh, or they're different with it. They're a Democrat. They're a liberal. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna love them anymore. I'm yeah. gonna flame them in the comments. You know, or whatever. Um, yeah. That's that's how we operate nine times out of ten, and it's simple and it's wrong. Not to mention those of us who often live, and I include myself in this, comfortable, easy lives. Well, yeah. there's people who are, you know, homeless and and starving in the streets, and and we do, we don't care. Like we we don't we won't do anything about that. while. Well it's tough for them. It's probably their fault. Um, you know, I don't have to do anything to help them or whatever. And, uh, we can take a very cold, uh, attitude. It's just too messy to get involved. And we end up being like the priest and the Levite who passed by in the parable of the good Samaritan. And the point is the gospels are challenging and if we take them seriously, it's gonna, it's again, it's gonna, it's gonna push us. It's gonna hurt us. To actually live by them the commands of the gospel are radical love your neighbor as yourself love your neighbor as christ himself that's what it comes down to if you can't do that you really should question whether you can call yourself a christian
1: yeah amen i mean and this is i'm just going to repeat very briefly um before we wrap up is that this is a requirement of of us as faithful this is um you know, not a challenge, not a, um, you know, not a a good thought or an encouragement, but this is a requirement of us as faithful yeah. Catholic men, men and women. is the corporal works of mercy. and and this is exactly what, you know, um, Chesterton was speaking of, you know, you get the people look frown upon Catholicism or frown upon, uh, the Christian faith. And, you know, and he talks about that the Christian ideal has not been found and wanting, it's been found difficult and left on a, you know, unattempted or untried. And, and that's exactly it. This is not easy, man. This is not something that, we can roll over and not uh, focus on and not pay attention to. And, but what else? What else is there? Right? Living a slave to our passions and our pleasures, um, living uh, so selfishly that we ignore just even our neighbors next to us. Not even the poor, right? And of course, you know if we can't even smile at our neighbor next to us, we're definitely not, um, you know, able to to reach out and, and prioritize helping the poor. And so. Yeah, I know that uh, um, I know that we're, we're going to come back uh, for more, but this is uh, this is excellent. So, Sam, I just want to want to thank you for obviously writing your book and for uh, spending this time going through these first uh, um, six rules and uh, and just breaking them down with me as is such a joy uh, in my life and, and hopefully our listeners. And so, you know. We are going to come back. We will make sure we spend time together to focus on the other seven, um, uh, rules and break those down. And if you liked part one, you're going to love part two <laughs> and, uh, and we'll go in that direction. So, uh, Sam, any final thoughts before we wrap up?
0: Yeah, I mean, this last thing I'll say is just, uh, It all goes back to this kind of, again, this this concept of like spiritual breathing of where we receive in from God, but then we give out to our neighbor. Mm -hmm. You cannot give what you have not received. St. Benedict, ora et labora. It has to be prayer, yes, but then it has to be reflected in our work. Um, And that can be manual labor, yes, but it can also mean works of mercy. Um, So yes, receive from God in prayer, and then give to your neighbor. Um, and I think I mean that is what the gospel calls us to. So uh it's really been enjoyable discussing yeah. these. Um I'd kind of forgotten about them, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but uh glad we kind of revive them and, and and give a little
1: time to them. So amen. Well, as we end every episode,
0: be a man, be a saint.